Officials say that 2024 will be a window of opportunity for Taiwan to join the CPTPP or the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership. That's because Canada, which is open to Taiwan's participation, will be the trade bloc's rotating chair. To support Taiwan's membership bid, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs has drawn up a three-part action plan. Our membership application is already submitted. Japan, Canada and Australia all support Taiwan's bid. Taiwan is continuing on its campaign to join the CPTPP, or the Comprehensive and Progressive Agreement for Trans-Pacific Partnership. Premier Chen Jianren says a working group will be formed to coordinate operations. We have contact channels for the head negotiators of some of the members, or their ministers and deputy ministers, who are stepping up our efforts and setting up a working group for Taiwan's bid. On this trip, I met Hagyuda Kuichi, the head of the Liberal Democratic Party's Policy Research Council. I expressed Taiwan's desire to join the CPTPP, and he responded positively. The world is seeing Taiwan's industrial strengths more and more, and that will be helpful to our CPTPP bid. Freshly returned from Japan, Economics Minister Wang Meihua says that the Office of Trade Negotiations will represent Taiwan in CPTPP talks. To build support for Taiwan, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs has formulated an action plan with three strategies. The first is to forge informal communication channels with chief negotiators over the course of the next year and to engage with member economies via those channels. The second is to engage with influential nations like Japan, Canada and the UK to shape views conducive to Taiwan's membership. The third is to create a pro-Taiwan atmosphere in countries less friendly to Taiwan by conducting exchanges with think tanks and industry representatives. Canada will be the rotating chair next year, so next year offers a key window of opportunity. We should make the most of that time. Taiwan submitted its application in 2021. Other countries with applications pending are China, Ecuador and Costa Rica. Officials say 2024 will be a key year for negotiations, saying that the government will do all it can to speed up the accession process and show Taiwan's economic prowess to the world. Honghai founder Terry Goh has qualified to run in the presidential election. The Central Election Commission made the announcement on Tuesday, saying Goh collected more than 900,000 valid signatures of support. On the same day, Honghai held its third quarter earnings call. Reuters asked if a Go presidency would create a political risk for Honghai, as China may put pressure on the company to influence Go's decisions. Honghai CEO Yang Liu had this to say. This is uh, a question that uh, none of us is able to, uh, to tell you what's going to happen except uh, Terry. Okay, he will make his own decision. And I don't have any uh, the crystal ball. You know, I don't know what's going to happen. But from the management team's point of view, we will have to you know, pre- uh, be prepared for all the possible uh, cases. For the third quarter, Honghai posted more than 1.5 trillion NT in revenue and EPS of 3.11 NT. Its gross profit margin was the highest since the third quarter of 2017. Addressing Honghai's tax audit in China, the CEO moved to assure investors, emphasizing that all group operations were normal.
Taiwan is set to be on the agenda at the upcoming summit between U.S. President Joe Biden and Chinese leader Xi Jinping. The meeting will be held on the sidelines of, the, of APEC this Thursday, Taiwan time. According to the New York Times, Biden will warn Xi against meddling in Taiwan's presidential election. According to the Financial Times, Biden will refuse Xi's request to explicitly oppose Taiwan independence. Given the two sides' differences on a vast range of issues, a joint statement after the meeting is not expected. U.S. President Joe Biden and Chinese leader Xi Jinping are set to meet on the sidelines of the APEC summit in San Francisco for bilateral talks. According to the New York Times, Biden is set to warn Xi against interfering in Taiwan's January elections. I, I'm not going to preview what exactly President Biden will say to President Xi because I think he should have the opportunity to speak to him directly in person without me proclaiming it from the podium. I will say that the president, broadly speaking, is going to set out um, a vision for peace and stability and the maintenance of peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait. According to U.S. officials cited by the Financial Times, she wants Biden to express a position to Taiwanese independence instead of taking his usual stance of not supporting it. But Biden is not considering making such a statement, sources say. The U.S. needs to honor its commitment to one China and oppose Taiwan independence with concrete actions. According to the report, Biden and Xi will not issue a joint statement as, quote, the two sides remain very far apart on fundamental issues. One official says the goal of the talks is to manage the competition, prevent the downside risk of conflict, and ensure that channels of communication are open. President Biden believes that there is no substitute for leader-to-leader, face-to-face diplomacy to manage this complex relationship between the United States and China. Biden and Xi are also expected to discuss the Russia-Ukraine war and the latest Israel-Hamas war. Biden may ask China to use its sway over Iran to prevent an expansion of conflict in the Middle East. PRC, of course, has a relationship with Iran, and it's capable, if it chooses to, of making those points directly to the Iranian government. The White House says the talks aim to halt the deterioration of ties rather than to warm relations. The two sides are expected to leave the meeting separately and will not be dining together afterward. Hong Shangkai, a doctor at Linko Chang'e Memorial Hospital, arrived in Gaza this July to serve with Doctors Without Borders. In October, he found himself caught in a war between Israel and Hamas, and it took 26 days for him to return home safely. Speaking to press in Taiwan, he spoke about the dire conditions on the ground in Gaza. She had a baby before the war. The baby was premature. Due to the conflict breaking out, the bed had to be given up for someone with a greater need. The infant still had the grasp reflex, their hand gripped onto yours. That was the one time I cried there. As a member of the human race, I thought, what have we done here? I was so sorry that the baby was brought into such a world. Prior to the war, you needed to get approval from both Hamas and Israel to leave. That was the only way you could leave. But during the war, that wasn't possible. Every move we made was quite high risk. You could hear the sound of gunfire very close by. The 34-year-old doctor went to Gaza to help establish a triage system, but became an unwilling participant in a war. Speaking to the cameras, Hong appealed for a ceasefire to allow medical resources into the conflict zone. Could a fat tax reduce obesity? 
a former premier has pitched the tax on fattening foods after Tainan Mayor Huang Weizhe admitted to gaining 10 kilograms since assuming office. Such a tax has been implemented before by some 50 countries worldwide. But here in Taiwan, the proposal has sparked a mixed public reaction. Tainan Mayor Huang Weizhe says he weighs nearly 90 kilograms, that he's gained 10 kilograms since taking office. The admission led ex-premier Sean Chen to propose a fat tax, a tax on foods likely to pack on the pounds. It's a hard battle, but it's a battle that is costing, that is uh, influencing people's, uh, people's health. Several countries already have taxes on fattening foods, particularly on sugary drinks. For instance, the UK imposes a 7 NT per litre tax on drinks containing 50 to 80 grams of sugar per litre. France's soda tax is about 247 NT per 100 litres, while Saudi Arabia has a 50% tax on carbonated beverages. Denmark wants to create a tax on foods containing more than 2.3% saturated fat, charging 80 NT per kilogram. I think it's pretty reasonable because if you consume too much sugar, you can develop diabetes. I really have a sweet tooth. If prices went up, I might buy less sugary foods. I feel that the tax needs some supportive measures, otherwise it would just feel like price inflation. Public reactions to the fat tax are mixed, and the data is inconclusive on how effective a fat tax really is. Denmark, for instance, repealed its fat tax after just over a year because there was no change to consumer behavior. The tax also had a harmful effect on employment. Research shows that lowering the price of fruits and vegetables is a more effective way to shape dietary habits, particularly among low-income consumers. We respect the fat tax proposal. We also want to encourage people to live healthier lives. When it comes to weight loss, it needs to start from a young age, so you need to have healthy foods in the home environment from childhood. School education and providing healthy foods in schools is also a way of creating a healthy environment. With the verdict still out on the fat tax, experts suggest starting out with dietary interventions in homes and schools. The Academy for Women Entrepreneurs Indo-Pacific Women in Tech Summit is underway, co-hosted by the American Institute in Taiwan and the Ministry of Economic Affairs. The three-day event kicked off in Taipei on Tuesday. AIT Director Sandra Otkirk spoke at the opening ceremony, lauding Taiwan as one of the most progressive societies in the Asia-Pacific region. I come from a very far mountain area. AIT director Sandra Otkirk stops by the Taiwan stand to sample a baked treat. You should the Lady Jessie. They're an excellent sales platform. Otkirk was clearly a fan. The AIT officials accompanying her also munched on the snacks with gusto. At the New Zealand stand, Otkirk and other officials struck a pose. The event's exhibitors hailed from countries including Taiwan, New Zealand, Malaysia and the Philippines. They're participants in an exchange program of the Academy for Women Entrepreneurs, the brainchild of the U.S. State Department's Bureau of Educational and Cultural Affairs. The goal of the program is to empower women with the networks and access they need for entrepreneurship. The program was established in 2019 and already has participants in almost 100 countries. This year, its annual summit was held in Taiwan in collaboration with the AIT and the Ministry of Economic Affairs. But not at all surprised, 
when we heard that Taiwan was chosen to host this event. Taiwan's AWE program is the best in the region thanks to the significant support it receives from the Small and Medium Enterprise and Startup Administration. There is no other place better than Taiwan to host such a regional, uh, such a regional summit. During the past four decades, Taiwan has become one of the most progressive societies in the Indo-Pacific. It is a thriving economy and a technological powerhouse. These programs enable AIT to continue developing the flourishing economic and people-to-people -people ties, which serve as a foundation for the shared values that underpin the relationship between the people of the United States and the people of Taiwan. Odkirk underscored the shared values of Taiwan and the U.S. With the Biden-Xi summit approaching, she steered clear of sensitive political questions, including those on Taiwan's elections. Even so, through concrete action from government officials, the U.S. has continued to show its support for Taiwan. On his first trip abroad since taking office, Chiba Prefecture Governor Kumagai Toshihito chose to visit Taiwan and to make Taoyuan his first stop. Chiba and Taoyuan have shared a friendship agreement for seven years. During his visit, Kumagai noted that the COVID pandemic showed the strength of the Japan-Taiwan bond as the two sides helped each other in times of need. In a gesture of friendship, Taoyuan Mayor Zhang Shanzhen gave his guest an interlocking puzzle symbolizing the firm ties between the two sides. <laughs> Taoyuan's two mascots wait by the elevator ready to welcome a special guest. Chiba Prefecture Governor Kumagai Toshihito visited Taoyuan as the first stop of his first overseas trip since taking office. His presence underscored the bond between Taoyuan and Chiba. We went through a pandemic for nearly two years. It is because of this pandemic that we gave each other gifts of masks, protective gear and vaccines at times of urgent need. We were able to witness what it means to be true friends in times of need. Taoyuan and Chiba have shared a friendship agreement for seven years. Kumagai reflected on the years of the pandemic and how it deepened his country's bond with Taiwan. I am extremely grateful for Governor Kumagai for choosing Taiwan for his first official visit since taking office. We very much welcome him. He is very familiar with the history of exchanges between Chiba and Taoyuan. I believe that his visit will spark deeper exchanges between Taoyuan and Chiba. <laughs> the host, Mayor Zhang Shanzhen, presented the governor with wood art made in dashi, a bird puzzle shaped like Chiba's official emblem. The interlocking woodwork symbolized the unbreakable bond between Taoyuan and Chiba. In return, Governor Kumagai presented an indigo dye work from Chiba to cement the firm bilateral friendship. Taoyuan and Chiba can further deepen their exchanges in sports, as well as smart cities and tourism. I believe that in these areas, Taoyuan and Chiba will have very productive exchanges. Zhang called for more substantive projects that can strengthen the two sides' post-pandemic bond and carry on the legacy of the Taiwan-Japan friendship. This summer, typhoons Haikoi and Koinu brought severe damage to the East Coast. Surprisingly, the storms largely spared the region's marine life. In fact, they appear to have had a positive effect on reefs, carrying away pollutants that worsen coral bleaching. 
We conducted a full year of surveys. Our team carried out 41 surveys near Green Island and the East Coast. The results we have so far show that the storms had no harmful impact on the local reefs and their fish populations. And this year, we haven't seen instances of coral bleaching. This could be linked to the storm's passage. So near Green Island and the East Coast, diver activity has not had as big an impact on reefs as in previous years. According to the official, the storms created fast water currents, sweeping away pollutants that can cause coral bleaching. The storms also swept in cooler seawater that gave relief to the stressed marine community. Now for a spotlight on a Taiwanese businessman in Thailand whose golden perch empire is a big player in the world of aquaculture. Lai Xiaofeng was originally in technology, but took up fish farming in midlife. He applies the statistics and detail-oriented mindset of big tech to fish farming. Assisted by his son, Lai developed golden perch for the Thai market. He also trades in fish fodder, bringing another stream of income to the business. Fish are chased into corners with nets. Then it's time to sort them into small and large. Many people work together to fill the buckets and get them to shore to be weighed. The golden perch, with their lustrous colors, are nicknamed the Louis Vuitton of perch. They're worth four times as much as giant sea perch. They've been brought here by Edmund Lai, a Taiwanese businessman based in Thailand. I was lucky enough to get a contact with Taiwanese fish food. The fish have a very slight golden color. I had a sudden spark of inspiration because Thai people love gold, so we developed a new type of fodder. Lai was originally in technology. He was sent by his company to Thailand 35 years ago, and after retirement, he enjoyed fishing. In his 50s, his hobby developed into a second career. Now he owns 27.2 hectares of fish farms. He also imports Taiwanese fish fodder to Thailand. My wife said I seemed like a jobless vagrant, just going out fishing in different places. She said I was setting a bad example. If I don't work, what will my son do in the future? It would be dreadful if he copied me. So I said, okay, I'll find a job to do. Lai's eldest son, Yen Po, joined the team five years ago. He cleans the water sources, cultivates the fish fry, manages workers, and develops retail channels. At first, they sold just 300 kilograms of golden perch a day. Now that number has grown to 20 tons a day. Often, the children of Taiwanese business people living abroad don't take over the family business, so I'm lucky. Fish farming is a difficult business as well, so it's lucky that my oldest son is very interested in it and is even upgrading the business. The most vital thing is the water quality and giving the fish the most comfortable environment to live in. I suppose we have entered aquaculture from the tech industry, so we're more exacting about getting every detail as perfect as possible. Having found methods to keep the fish alive while keeping costs down, these techno-aquaculturists have managed to build a fish empire with annual turnover of more than 1 billion NT a year. The annual Guandu Flower Carnival has kicked off at the Guandu Plain. This year's festival will feature performances, photography classes, DIY activities, and guided tours. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang has the highlights. The Guangzhou Flower Carnival has kicked off. The Floral Sea has expanded to 4.44 hectares this year. The fields is covered with zinnias, sunflowers and cosmos. 
Behind it are the majestic peaks of Guanyin Mountain, Datuan Mountain, and Xixing Mountain. I think it's very beautiful. I think I like the dark red flowers better. The field is quite unique. Actually, we love taking pictures, so we came here for a walk. Guandu Flower Carnival is underway. Many locals cycle to Guandu Plain to admire the flowers. We rode our bikes from Da'an Station. From Gongguan, we rode from the riverside to Guandu. This place is very suitable for riding bicycles and admiring flowers. It is also a great place to bring children. Maybe because the weather has been dry, so it's not as beautiful as I imagined. The bicycle lanes are very good. The festival features performances, photography, DIY and sketch classes, and guided tours. Online registration has already opened. Organizers are asking visitors not to step into flower fields. The information about the DIY classes is posted on our Facebook page and website. You can sign up there. Our flower sea this year is larger than in previous years, and we have some fences around it. We want to remind everyone to please walk on the ridge of the field. This year, we've also set up spots for people to take photos and check in on social media. Organizers encourage people to get to the festival by shuttle bus or bicycle. Visitors can ride along the Jilong Riverside bike path between Guandu and Shiling to Baxin Pumping Station. Once there, walk down the stairs to reach the flower fields. The festival will be held till November 26. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang and Chen Han in Taipei.